Hello and welcome to Way Too Twog's Bagpipe and History Podcast. Tenth episode in this run. Um, we opened up with a nurse's song by Donald McDonald, and that is what every episode or every uh, tune today is going to be about is Donald McDonald. Um, so this episode is mostly about Donald McDonald and also a little bit about white supremacy. It's been a heck of a week, a uh, heck of a year. Every week feels like a month, uh, and every month feels like a decade. I don't know. Things are interesting in the United States. Um, at this point, about 40% of my listeners are not in the United States, which is comforting um, in some regards. I don't know. The As a bagpiper in the United States, and I'm, I'm not sure how much this is a problem worldwide, but I am perpetually frightened that my music is giving comfort to to racists like the number of gigs i've been doing i have a gig that i would do regularly on madeline island where i would just play kind of out in front of a museum to try to attract people to come in and this summer there was a, a moment where like i just realized that yeah every everybody that would stop on their you know, bikes or motorcycles or cars and roll down the window and listen. I'm always doing this, like, hmm. I wonder if they're a racist uh, just because of how bagpipes have been kind of co-opted and they're European, they're Northern European is how we think of them. And uh, it makes it really uncomfortable as... Uh, makes it really uncomfortable for me. And it's one of the reasons I've kind of enjoyed not doing gigs except in a context where I could... Um, be doing some public speaking as well, although, you know, that's not, that's not a, a surefire thing. Um, um, yeah, so we opened that tune, uh, the episode with the nurse's song. I recorded that, I recorded it on a podcast, the older one, but, um, it's been hard. It's been really hard to continue to make music and to post music, uh, and, you know, it feels like the wrong time to have joy. Um, and making music gives me joy. But yeah, I don't know. I got a message last night from a, a bagpiper that said he was having a really bad day and was frustrated and exhausted. And then seeing my video made him feel happy and he drank a beer and went to bed <laughs> just like you know that's all right um i don't know it feels different uh this time around and i feel like maybe we could be on the precipice of some actual change in this country um and that's why i'm talking about it it seems like you know we're a week and a bit we're less than two weeks in i guess to these like full protests of like across the country and world now of people demanding um some like serious reforms and i think it might be possible this time but i also know that that means like we have to keep up <laughs> we have to keep up this fever pitch of pressure uh and so if you haven't done anything yet to support um the protests and the calls for racial justice like that's great that's great that you haven't done anything yet because we need reinforcements so it's like, time to step up. Like, this needs to be a continuing, like, growing pressure. So, uh, like, I haven't marched, and I feel horribly guilty about that, but, like, I'm at a pretty high risk 
for uh, coronavirus, and I'm the socioeconomic position that my family's in means that I might have to be a caregiver kind of full-time-ish, or at least uh, live with someone who is very high risk, uh, so I can't march. But I've been donating uh, money to various bail organizations, so I'd encourage you to do that. Uh, I'll have some links in the, the notes, but basically any city that is having a protest, that state or that city has a bail fund so the protesters can get out of jail um, faster, hopefully, and have legal representation. And you can kind of, the way I've been doing it is when I hear about a protest that's happening in a place that are doing something I really like, I donate to that bail fund, uh, and then of course donate locally to your state's bail funds, um, and donated some money to um, Southern Poverty Law Center, and also donate money to, um, yeah, I don't know, donate money, but call people too, like, if you're in my boat and you feel like you're at too high of a risk to march and protest, like, calling representatives and demanding change uh, was good. <laughs> like, demilitarizing the police is something that's wildly important. You know, banning chokeholds. I'll put some links to the notes to the, the things you can uh, ask for. Anyway, so I'm not done talking about this. Uh, I might be done talking about this for this episode. I keep wanting to have something good to say. And I also keep struggling with, you know, that it's not my, in a way, it's not my place to speak about any of this, but also like as a white man, it's totally my place to speak to this. And as a white dude with a bagpipe podcast, like I sort of have to speak to this because I'm just, I'm always horrified. That's one of the weird things about bagpipe fans in the United States is you sometimes don't know if they are condemning you or celebrating you based on how they respond, like. I, the one time I tried to play in my backyard, my back, my neighbor across the back is just a weirdo. And like I, I played a tune and then I quit and then they blasted a bunch of like loud radio music and screamed out lines from Braveheart. And I didn't know if they were yelling at me to stop or saying that was awesome because people that like bagpipes in the United States can be kind of weird. Um... Anyway, and that was like in the middle of the day. That wasn't like in the evening and everybody was having a drink. It was like 2 p.m. Um, anyway, uh, so like I said, I think we'll have a whole episode where I'll talk about this a little bit more in depth. I'll have some links in this episode to useful places to donate. And yeah, so I opened up with the nurse's song because um, I wanted a tune to, to post to talk about Breonna Taylor. And it's weird. Uh, the United States, the way this always works is somebody is murdered by police and there's protests and then on the right um, and centrist they'll start talking about how well maybe that person wasn't all that good and they weren't a perfect angel and so it's understandable that the cops murdered them um, and so talking about Brianna Taylor made me nervous because she's like objectively a good human being and so by being upset that police murdered an EMT in her bed that that would come into some kind of respectability politics where it's bad that she died, but maybe anybody else didn't. But reality was it was her 27th birthday on Tuesday, was it? Um, and like, she wanted to be a nurse and I've spent so much damn time in hospitals and been so dependent on nurses lately. Um, yeah, it's just, it's just brutal. Anyway, 
So, um, yeah, that was Nurse's Song by Donald McDonald. Uh, let's move on to another bit of piping, and we'll talk some more about Donald McDonald and the horrible mistake that I have made um, in referring to his music. So this uh, next tune we're going to play is called Johnny Lad, Morag is Donald, or Marion and Donald. Again, Don Hattery Gaelic. This week I have realized once again that if I'm going to get serious about P-Rock in the way that I want to, I have to learn Gaelic. Um, so Morag is Donald, M-O-R-A-G is D-O-M-H-N-U-L-L. Anyway, cheers. Enjoy. like that tune um there's kind of the nice thing about working through donald mcdonald's tune collection is um there are they're, they're good tunes there's <laughs> really good tunes they're old tunes uh this tune collection as far as i can tell was published for 1940 there seems to be a bit of a confusion about when it was i mean there's definitely confusion on my end um, the reason i attributed all of these tunes to angus Mackay is i have two um I have two versions, I have two Donald McDonald books, and I got them back in the, I don't know, 2000 teens or 2000, not even teens, sweet 2000 aughts, and I was volunteering at uh, Fort William Historical Park and getting more interested in historic tunes, and there's that website Cole Sean, if anybody remembers that from way back when, but it hosted all this historic tunage, um, and I would, like, I bought a couple discs, and talking to the guy in charge of historic music at Fort William Historical Park, that's in Thunder Bay, Ontario, not the Fort William in Scotland, but it's a living history site that did fur trade stuff, uh, it was sort of the sister site to Grand Portage National Monument, uh, where they did first-person interpretation, so there was more of an emphasis on, you know, doing things as they were done in 1815, Whereas Grand Portage was third person, so 
we dressed like it was 1797, but we weren't pretending to be then. Anyway, Joe Winterburn, cool guy, was in charge of the music there, and we kind of talked about historic bagpipe tunes a little bit. He wasn't a piper at all, but um, we were kind of trading things back and forth. And in my memory, I had given him uh, a couple of discs worth of historic tunes from Cole Sean, and he gave me a couple of discs worth of historic tunes from Cole Sean. And in my head, he gave me Angus Mackay, and I gave him Donald MacDonald, and I just somehow, I, I missed that I had, in fact, <laughs> so basically this entire time, the I printed out the music I got from him, I think is how this works, and, and so I've had this folder filled with sheet music for years that I assumed was Angus Mackay's collection of dance music, and I've always referred to it as Angus Mackay, and so I've had sets that are... Um, that I knew were Donald MacDonald. So Donald MacDonald published a bagpipe collection around 1820. Again, there seems to be some confusion and uncertainty about when that was first published. I don't understand. Like, as a historian, I understand how to write footnotes and to track down when, like, an academic book is first released, sort of. But for something about music books, especially in the 18th century and 19th century, well, I guess in general, 19th century books are kind of hard to track down, too, but... Like, it's really hard to find like, when the first printing of a thing was for me. That is not a skill set that I inherently have. Uh, but around 1820, Donald MacDonald published a collection of Pibroch, uh, and it's awesome. It's uh, My understanding is it's one of the oldest, like, printed collections of Pibroch that indicates where embellishments should go and that sort of thing. But what I really liked about Donald MacDonald's um, Pibroch collection is that he opened up with... Um, around 10 dance tunes. Yeah, one, two, three, four. Yeah, maybe 12. Um, and he included these... Basically, he included a set of dance music that he said were so common and, like, popular that, like, kind of every bagpiper would know how to play it and really most people, and most musicians would know what they sounded like so that... You know, big and Pibroch had been an oral tradition mostly beforehand, and so writing it down is something new. So Donald MacDonald is writing out these dance tunes that everybody knows, so they understand how to interpret the Pibroch music, like the written out music. And so, as like a historian performing, you know, historic tunes on bagpipes, it's sort of like the holy grail of finding the most popular tunes in 1820 that are known by everybody. Um, and that's how I treated it. And I've always thought of this collection of tunes as um, as Donald MacDonald, and then the other collection of tunes is Angus Mackay. The reality is that that collection of tunes that I thought was Angus Mackay was published about 20 years after uh, MacDonald's Pibroch collection. And on the title page, it says Donald MacDonald and Sons. Um, so Donald MacDonald was a bagpipe maker in Edinburgh, and... Uh, and I think, you know, by 1840, I'm not sure, the the writing style is, a, a, you know, the, the transcription seems about the same. Um, the layout is a little bit different. Um, so I don't know. I don't know if it was just his son is more active or not. Uh, there's a biography on Donald MacDonald in the kind of reprint that the Peabrook Society put out about him, but uh, that's out of print and looked like if I wanted to get it, I was going to have to spend several hundred dollars on Amazon, so you're going to have to deal with my poor uh, recitation of Donald McDonald's life, unless somebody has a copy of that biography and wants to send it to me. 
Um, that'd be great. Anyway, so that is why I've been mistaken about all of these tunes. Uh, so basically every historic tune that I play that isn't Peabrook is a Donald McDonald tune, uh, which is helpful. Uh, I think we're going to finish the episode with some of the um, some of the tunes from that earlier collection. I was hoping to do a Peabrook out of it, but I'm not going to have time to do that this week. Um, but yeah, let's go on to our next Donald McDonald tune. One thing that's interesting, they're good tunes, but also it is clear that embellishments were used differently. Like there was a different language of embellishments back then. So um, one of my, the, the whole reason this started is I wanted to record the Buckskin Killed. And I kind of had this realization that I wasn't sure if the tune I was playing as the Buckskin Kilt was actually the Buckskin Kilt, or if I had the name wrong. Uh, many months ago now, I published a tune and called it uh, Molandu as uh, a tune of the day, and the reality, I, I had that wrong. It's it's Buckskin Kilt that I had published. We've already heard this set. I, I played the set that I'm about to play here on an earlier episode. It's a poorer recording when I was in Scotland. Um, and this this version of it, you can kind of hear it here. So this is a set that I had worked up at Grand Portage uh, called the Kilt Set to me. So it was the Buckskin Kilt, the Wren's Death, the Kilt is My Delight, and Jenny Dang the Weaver. But you can hear in the Buckskin Kilt that essentially he uses Tarluas like we would use grips now. Um, and when I work through these Donald McDonald tunes, I generally wind up sight-reading them but then my brain just auto-corrects it to how I feel comfortable playing it, and that means like how somebody that was trained in the 90s feels comfortable playing a tune and tinkered around a lot in the yachts. So there's definitely a, a modern spin to it. But every time I sit down with a Donald McDonald tune and really look at the embellishments that he's doing, it's far more interesting, but also far more challenging to play. So uh, here's the Buckskin Kilt, where I think you can hear that the kind of interesting 19th century take on the Tarlua. Um, supposedly, he started working on that Peabrook collection uh, around 1806 or so, so it pushes it quite a bit earlier um, than its publication date, and obviously transcribing a bunch of music is a long process, especially if you are not doing that for a living, but also, you know, making bagpipes and selling them. So, anyway, here is uh, The Buckskin Kilt, Ren's Death, Kilt is My Delight, and Jenny Dang the Weaver.
All right, so next we're going to do um, kind of back to just doing single tunes. Uh, this is when I realized uh, last week it was looking for Bucks and Kilt that I, <laughs> looking through all these pages, I found the title page. I was like, oh crap, this has been Donald McDonald the whole time. How embarrassing. I've been making this mistake for decades. Um, maybe not decades. Yeah, just about a decade, just about two decades. Um, and so I knew I was going to spend an episode just focusing on Donald McDonald tunes, but I also wanted to include some Ellen Pipes. So I was looking for tunes that are both in O'Farrell, O'Farrell setting, which is published around 1806 or so, um, the first pocketbook anyway. So right around the time that Donald McDonald started writing that Peabrook collection. So there should be some overlap. Obviously, folk tunes can have a longer life than uh, a couple years they're published. So... I was looking for a tune um, that I already kind of knew and was familiar with, and that was in both. And so I found the Piper's Maggot, which is in uh, it's in O'Farrell and Donald McDonald, and also Gerald Sullivan put it on his album, and so I was already familiar with it. And I think I had kind of played it from memory of listening to Jerry play it. Um, anyway, so here is Donald McDonald's version of the Piper's Maggot. And this is another example of, like, how there's some older gracing or um, older embellishments that uh, we don't really hear too much in Highland Piping these days. So uh, this tune, again, was really hard for me to understand and play until I sat down and looked at the gracing and saw that there is this, the da -da -dun, the, the way that the, the note works. So you'll hear it. Um, cool tune. It's also interesting. I thought, like, listening to it, knowing that it was no feral, I, I recorded the Highland Pipe version before I recorded the Island Pipe version. And recording the Highland Pipe version, I assumed that it was a poor facsimile of a tune that had a wider range, you know, like if it went above an octave. And uh, so I was surprised when I got out O'Farrell's setting, and lo and behold, uh, the O'Farrell setting also only has one octave. So, uh, yeah. Anyway, here is Piper's Maggot on Highland Pipes. Listen to that cool old embellishment at the beginning. Speaking of historic embellishing, um, I'm going to have to read through some more thoughts on O'Farrell, but I think there's some debate about whether or not crayons were around yet when O'Farrell published his tune collection, which is, it's not this, but it's sort of like the Ellen Pipe Tarlua um, gracing, but it's one of the cooler sounding embellishments on Ellen Pipes uh, that's sort of a, a staple in tunes nowadays. 
and it's I've, I've heard some people say that I, I feel like I've read in the introduction to um, the version of O'Farrell's book that I have that it doesn't seem like crayons were around yet in 18, 1806, like people weren't doing them yet. But the Piper's Maggot is a tune that desperately wants a crayon. Uh, I think Jerry O'Sullivan's version of it includes crayons. Um, I played this tune a bunch on whistle and didn't have any problem not giving it a crayon and then realized like, oh no, that's kind of a hard note combination to do without a crayon. So I don't know if that speaks to the fact that like O'Farrell maybe did use crayons or uh, just that he's a way better piper. <laughs> I am. Um, anyway, so here is my version of Illin Pipes with the Piper's Maggot, and I tried to do one time through um, not doing it with a crayon and kind of playing it as written, and, and then the other times I just used the crayons because it's hard. It's a hard tune to not do it, and it's also, because it's a hard tune, it's a hard tune to play without crayons, which means that it's a tune that really highlights crayons well, and crayons were a thing that I loved that other Pipers did, and it wasn't until four years ago that I sat down with Ryan Benke and I was like, just show me how to do this. And he explained how to do it. And I've sort of been like, uh, I went through a phase, still maybe in the middle of a phase where I just add a crayon, all kinds of places where it didn't belong. Um, so to have a tune where it like naturally fits, uh, it's hard not to do them. So here's Piper's Maggot by O'Farrell um, with uh, trying to do it as written the first time through and then the next two times with uh, crayons and things. Hoping to get out and record. I got a new channer. I ordered a channer. Trying to get uh, like that older sound. So I'm not sure how this is going to work out. Um, but I got a, a, a Laurie channer from 1969 or 1970. So the pitch is going to be quite a bit different from my kind of Gibson channer from 2005. But trying to get it lower, um, I've switched to all cane reeds in my drones, and uh, it was interesting the last couple times I've gone out recording as the the weather here is just hot and humid and icky in Iowa. Uh, I'm tuning my drones super low, like very very low, uh, and it's like oh well that's that's fitting because I'm about to 
desperately need a whole lot more length out of them to play with this older channer. So uh, I think I might fix my drone tuning pin placement problem by using a channer that is quite a bit older pitched. So hopefully you'll hear some difference between kind of the earlier stuff that I've played here because these are all recorded with my Gibson channer um, now to this old um, Hardy, Hardy channer, not Lori. Hardy Channer. Um, so what I'm going to play here is, uh, sorry, I'm recording the talking bit before I've actually gone and recorded um, this bit of Highland piping. Um, so I'm going to play from Donald McDonald's kind of opening page, opening pages of that Peabrook collection. I'm going to play Mrs. McLeod of Rassi or Sean Gil Nankar. S-E-A-N-N-G-H-I-L-L-E-N-A apostrophe N-C-A-R and then the Reel of Tolok or Reel of Holchen R-I-E-L-L-E H-E-L-U-C-H-E-N So I loved Reel of Tolok knowing it I finished a lot of my bagpipe programs with it I don't love the tune kind of dislike it really but this collection of tunes kind of really spoke to the point of why Donald McDonald included these dance tunes in his Peabrook collection. So he wrote, uh, he kind of annotates beneath it. So as the above celebrated air is known all over the highlands and islands by the name of Rinanum Porst, that is the king of tunes and is often played last in every dance uh, by way of preeminence, is very old, beyond tradition. The village of Tolok from which it takes its name is in the parish of Tullock on Aberdeenshire, near to the celebrated wells of Panach, about 40 miles west of Aberdeen on the north bank of the River Dee, which is now the property of William Farquharson, Esquire of Monaltree. Anyway, so we'll go out with uh, Miss McLeod of Rasse, which is still a popular, it's a tune that everybody plays still. Um, and then Reel of Tulluk. I don't feel like I hear the Reel of Tulluk nearly as much um, as McLeod of Rassi, but I also don't listen to much music anymore, so maybe I'm wrong. Anyway, here's to finish it out. Probably a long episode again, but uh, thanks for listening. Cheers. Oh, also, goodness. Um, part of the world going to, to hell is... Uh, I'm trying, bizarrely, I'm trying to get off Facebook, um, because, you know, Mark Zuckerberg has happily contributed to many genocides and, uh, kind of the weakening of my government, um, and many others, um, but for the time being, like, I don't know, this is my 10th episode, um, this episode's probably gonna hit a thousand, probably sometime the week this episode comes out. I'll hit a thousand downloads total, um, which is great. Thank you for listening. Um, but there's just not a lot of engagement. So like in terms of people being able to communicate and talk about things. So I made a Facebook page. Uh, if you haven't checked it out, I'll be posting some stuff there. Um, if anybody knows of a better social media platform to like all go running to, please let me know. I've tried MeWe for a little bit and there was just nobody on there. Um, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> this world, man. I tell you. Uh, remember when the internet was just a bunch of GeoCities websites uh, that people made and you had to go like seek out a message board that was just talking about your own thing? Like, returning to Bob Dunsire forums to post um, 
podcast episodes has been like a blast from the past of remembering that yeah forums and message boards were, were toxic and a little bit icky back in the early 2000s but oh how much nicer than what we're dealing with now on social media anyway um so checking out check out the podcast on facebook for now and uh if you feel like commenting or asking questions that might be a good place to do it um you can always email me through the podcast host website too you can find that just going to waytotwag.com you can also follow the show or me on instagram at waytotwag anyway cheers everybody Let's go out with some old tunes on older sounding pipes.